This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The house deep in the woods. It was my 27th year that I first came upon the house. I was hiking alone in the Alder Creek Forest. Rumor had it that there was an old abandoned village deep in the woods. A village whose prosperous years ended some hundred years ago when Shiniko became the wool capital of the world and no one needed the wool from the town of Alder. Same thing happened to Shiniko a few years later when people found wool cheaper elsewhere. But that is not the story. That isn't my story. My story is about the first time I searched for Alder, a place I plan on going to again tomorrow. But before I go, I felt I should write up my experience in case I didn't make it back. Like I said, it was my 27th year that I last ventured into those woods. I'm now 39, and hope that enough time had passed since I was last out there, that it will be safe now. I hope. I'm in desperate need of what I found out there, because my wife has become ill. Only for her would I ever think of venturing into those woods again. Only the love I have for her. And I'm scared. Even to write this down, I'm trembling. But I must get this over with as the night is passing so quickly, and soon it should be time to go. It was a bright and sunshiny day when I entered the woods, and I was feeling quite optimistic about my journey. I was using a map I found in an old book called Ghost Towns of the Northwest. It mentioned the town of Adler, but I never actually found Adler. I got lost and got way off track, miles and miles away from any known civilization. I worried that I was lost as I had been walking for at least six miles past the distance I was supposed to be walking. It was getting near full darkness when I came across something peculiar. All the way out here, deep into the woods where no man would need to wander. I came across a freshly carved jack-o'-lantern. It was deformed and taller than it was round, much like a human head, but larger. It was oddly shaped and more bulbous on the left than the right, which made its single-toothed smile look like the grotesque rotten mouth of an elderly man who had suffered a stroke. But inside... I could see something shiny. My curiosity got a hold of me, and I bent down to give the pumpkin a closer look. First thing I noticed was the eyes were unlike any eyes I had seen on a pumpkin before. Each spot where an eye would be was made of four holes, giving the pumpkin the appearance of having eight eyes. After examining the mouth and then the eyes, I looked up the nose with greater concentration, not only looking, but touching. The nose was normal, when I noticed some movement behind the nose. Before I could react, I realized what it was, but it was too late. The pumpkin was home to a nest of spiders that quickly ran up my arm. I ripped off my coat and threw it as far as I could, and then started the task of wiping off the remaining spiders from my arm. Then I stopped, because I was stunned. I had glanced at the pumpkin, and seen that the top of it was rising up, and then it was coming off. I was in such a state of fear that I just stood there, while what must have been the queen spider that had come out. The spider had to squeeze out of the pumpkin, it was so big. Imagine a black spider the size of a baseball glove, covered in orange slime from the pumpkin guts. 
Then, the spider turned, and it looked right at me. I must have run two miles before I finally felt safe enough to stop, and then only long enough to catch my breath. I headed in the direction I had come from when I had first started running. I figured three more hours of hiking and I would be back to where I first entered those woods. I had only walked maybe a hundred feet more when the fog rolled in around me. I'd be a fool to try to find my way back through the fog, and so I gave up on trying to make it out of the woods that night. I would wait until morning, then walk out of the woods and try to forget the image of that giant spider. I set up my small tent and climbed inside, and right before I went to sleep, I remember thinking, God, please don't let that spider find its way to me. Then I woke up in the middle of the night when I heard a sound much like a door being slammed. I didn't realize maybe I was that close to the road, or and am I so lost that I'm nearly out of the woods? I put my tent back into my pack and headed towards the noise. Luckily, the fog had lifted, for the moment at least. I started to think that it was all in my head until I saw a light in the distance, an orange light, and then I could smell it, a fire. Oh my god, the woods were on fire, I mean they must have been. I'm way too far out into the woods for there to be someone else out here with me. But of course, there was that horrible pumpkin. Someone had carved it. I walked slowly in the direction of the fire, and step by step I listened until I got to just outside the clearing in the blaze of the fire. The fire drew my attention for a while, and its heat felt good on my now coatless upper body. As I stood there warming up, I noticed the other strange things around me. There was a chair made from a log with the back support made from twigs nailed to the log. Behind the big flames of the bonfire, I could see a house. Well, a house is an overstatement. It was somewhere in between a shack and a cabin. I walked around the tree line to get a better view of it. The house was old, extremely old, architecture that I'd never seen before. The roof was completely flat, and the house had more windows than walls, windows that had fogged and cracked from time. Some of the cracks in the windows were filled with dirt. The place gave me the creeps and a feeling of dread swept over me. I was ready to leave it when I saw more of the jack-o'-lanterns, afraid of the spiders that I had seen previously. Could they contain more giant black ones? God, I may never sleep soundly again after such a sight. Instead of running, I found myself approaching the house, thinking that maybe the occupant could help me find my way out of the woods, or at least provide a shelter for the night where I wouldn't have to worry about the spiders. Before knocking, I decided to peek through the window. Inside was nicer than I would have imagined. It was filled with old furniture but not as weathered as the outside of the house. An antique collector would be ecstatic with coming across such a find. There was a beautiful old couch and chairs, both covered in velvet, with detailed carvings in the wood, and what looked like a solid oak table inside. But what really drew me in was an old trunk. It was covered in tan leather, much like the color of human skin. It wasn't made with the same craftsmanship of the other furnishings. The seams were big and black and it went all over the place like it was made from scraps of skin. I was about to walk to the door when I saw the inhabitant enter the room. The man looked as old as that trunk with skin that looked just as leathery. He had unkempt hair with an even longer beard. The right side of his face was sloped just like that pumpkin. He walked over and opened that trunk, and inside it was full of gold and silver coins. I stood there, awestruck, 
until he turned to me and smiled, revealing his one tooth and eight eyes. I'd never been so scared in my life. Not until a moment later, when his extra two arms and two legs sprung out of his body, tearing apart his fake skin suit, revealing him to be a giant, ugly, black spider. I ran. I ran Olympic medal winning fast out of those damned woods. When I finally got out of there, I was miles from my car. I never went back for that car and I never went near those woods again. I hitchhiked out of there and spent the next year drinking trying to get rid of that image. I know bigger men would have gone back for all of that gold, but it wasn't worth losing my life. Or even just seeing that thing again was enough of a deterrent. But my wife is sick. And the operation is more than I can afford. And so this is my only choice. Really, it is no choice. I love her more than myself. Hopefully, I make it back. Hopefully, this is not the last sentence I ever write. 10-20-1999 The last entry in John L. Price's diary. The Entities of Clues Wood If you're ever in Canterbury or its surrounding areas, I suggest you stay away from Clues Wood. It's fairly small and remarkably unexceptional compared to some of the other woodland in the area, so most people tend to avoid it. This made it the perfect place for an impromptu camping trip for me to get away from it all. It's actually a quite dense forest when you get right into it, giving you that feeling of utter isolation from the rest of the world. This made it the perfect spot, or so it seemed. You see, there's a reason why Clues Wood has been left nearly untouched for decades. There's a reason why the local people choose to avoid it. Hell, the road leading through it hasn't been used in so long, the overgrowth had claimed it. But we'll get to that later. The day had dawned, the car was packed, and the drinking had begun. Of course, as it is the way with most things, the journey wasn't as smooth as one would have hoped. The road which leads through Clues Wood was actually a lot worse than I had anticipated. It was in a state of complete disrepair, with weeds and brambles completely immersing it. I had to leave my car in the closest spot I could, and walk the rest of the way, which wasn't easy with the gear I had. This really was a laborious task. The forest was thick and unforgiving, leaving me scratched and bruised from my battle with the foliage. I had a small knife with me which I used to hack through the brush, but it was still a challenging task. I was beginning to get a bit nervous at this point. I'd never been camping by myself before, especially not in the middle of the woods, but I decided now was as good time as any to prove to myself that I could do it. That, and I just watched 20 episodes of Bear Grylls the night before and figured, hey, if he can do it, well, why can't I? But still, I couldn't shake the feeling of unease. Clues Wood is very quiet, almost silent, in fact. You'd expect to hear birds singing and local wildlife going about their day today, but there was nothing. It seemed as if I was the only living thing in that forest. It was a hard feeling to shake, but I stayed rational and I told myself to stop being stupid. And so I kept going. As luck would have it, after only about an hour's walk, I managed to find a great clearing to set up in. It was probably about 30 feet in diameter and almost a perfect circle with one solitary tree off to the north, just breaking the line of the other trees. There was also an interesting rock formation about 30 feet away from it. 
It looked like some sort of scepter. It had a large black spherical rock atop a long black cuboid. I marveled at it for a few seconds before moving on. I decided to set up camp here. Darkness was creeping in, as was the general panic at the very thought of having to set up my tent blind. So, this seemed like the best spot I could find. I'm not even sure what time of day it was. The forest canopy is so dense not a lot of light manages to seep through. Luckily, my tent was just a pop-up, which you needed to peg down, so it was set up in no time. I'll call her Lucy, I said, chuckling to myself. She was big enough to fit three men in as well. I giggled to myself for a little while, cursing the fact that there was no one around to hear my spectacular joke. Well, then I grabbed my chair, I started a fire, and I got to drinking. The tent was on my left, the fire was dead ahead. The place where I, you know, relieved myself was behind me, and the thick tree line was all around. I still cannot believe how dark that night was. The darkness was suffocating. I'm not sure if it was because I was nervous or what, but I felt as if I was gasping for air. I couldn't see past the fire. I could barely even see my own tent for that matter. I tried to take my mind off of things by carrying on with roasting the marshmallows and listening to music, but lo and behold, my phone had died. Let me ask you something. Have you ever experienced a silence so intense it's almost deafening? There was literally no noise anywhere. I could almost hear my insides working as I scoffed the marshmallows down. Desperately trying to fight off the overwhelming panic I could sense dawning upon me. And all of a sudden, the silence was broken. There was a rustling of leaves about ten feet to the right of me. Dim lights appeared around the clearing. I'm not sure if it was just my mind playing tricks on me, or if it was just the ambiance from the fire. I can't even begin to imagine how much I must have looked like a deer in the headlights at that moment. My head turned faster than a bullet leaves a gun. I mean, seriously, I should have sprained my neck or something from that because it was inhuman how fast I turned. I was straining my eyes and craning my neck, desperately trying to identify the cause of the noise. When I saw it, it was only because it moved again that I noticed it. And had it stayed still, I would have missed it forever. There was a tiny little bunny rabbit on the ground, hopping around without a care in the world. Huh. Huh. You know, I breathed a sigh of relief, cleaned the metaphorical shit from my pants, and I chuckled to myself about being such a coward. I didn't sleep at all that night. It was too dark. It was too quiet, you know? I felt, I don't know, watched. It's hard to explain. I felt as if any moment someone or something would come crashing through Lucy's flap to ambush me. But nothing came. My hand didn't leave the knife I'd placed under my pillow for one second. I was ashamed. Like, I felt like I'd let myself down. Like a frightened child calling out to his parents in the night. I felt that I had to talk to someone. Get out of my own head. And so I summoned all my courage and decided to stay another night, get over my childlike fear of the dark. And so, it's exactly what I did. It's a good thing I was already on my way to my makeshift toilet, because what I saw when leaving my tent that morning would have caused my bowels to evacuate faster than a house on fire. The rabbit, which was so merrily hopping around my tent that previous night, was dead. It was left at the base of the isolated tree. I couldn't look at it for too long. It was making me feel ill. I mean, how could I not have heard it? It didn't make any sense. How could I have heard it hopping around but not getting sliced apart? 
whatever did it must have been bigger than the rabbit, so surely it would have made more noise. I assumed there was some sort of bird nesting in the tree that could have killed it. That's really the only plausible explanation. I decided to kill time by having a look around the surrounding area. Like I said, I'd never been camping before on my own, so I had no idea how to pass the time. So, I decided to go for a quick explore. What do you think I saw? Yeah, you guessed it. More trees. There were a few interesting things though. For example, I'd only walked about 30 feet or so before I stumbled upon a large, perfectly spherical black rock. It was about the size of your average football, nesting itself atop another larger rock. The other rock was similar to the first. It was black and smooth, but it resembled more of a cuboid than a sphere. And a strange feeling washed over me. Had I got myself lost? I mean, this was an extremely familiar formation to the one I had seen yesterday, but I had gone the opposite way from camp. I ran back through the brush to where I assumed the other formation was. Luckily, I found it. I let out a sigh of relief, realizing that I hadn't gone completely insane. I was intrigued now, though. So I started wandering around the edge of the clearing, looking for more of these formations. I'd managed to find two more. There was one to the north of the camp, one to the east, one to the south, and, well, there was one to the west. Now, I'll admit it, I should have been more wary, but I thought nothing of it and moved on. I mean, besides, the darkness was creeping in again so I wanted to get back to camp, back to safety. Darkness had well and truly come. It was awful. I wanted to leave, get back to my home, but I'd never find my way. The darkness had literally enveloped my camp. It was heavy, thick, suffocating. The silence was back as well, but something was different about tonight. It was hard to put my finger on it. See, I had this overwhelming sense of dread. The fire was much smaller than last night as well, so I felt even more blind. The feeling of helplessness was getting to me, and panic was starting to take hold. And so I decided to have a little look around, see if I could see anything interesting. You know, I've never seen an owl before, so I was scanning the trees seeing if anything at all caught my attention. And as I was scanning that tree line, something did catch my attention. There was a dim light coming from the edge of the clearing, roughly about 30 feet away from me. My peripheral vision just about managed to pick it up. I strained my neck to see what it was, but unfortunately, it sunk back into the darkness. I hoped for some reason. It would be another person. I was getting naive, I think. But then another speck of light appeared, and again I could only see it in my peripheral vision as I turned my head, but it was roughly 90 degrees away from where the first one was. Again I turned to look, but I couldn't see it anymore. At this time, wild thoughts started running through my head. Who were these people? What are they doing here? What the hell they want from me? I even began to wonder if it was the rock formations that were somehow emitting light. But I dismissed it. I had another scan of the tree line, and my heart stopped. Something had caught my eye. It was hard to make out exactly what it was, what I thought I'd saw, since I only caught it for a brief moment. There was a silhouette of a person peering out from behind the tree, the lone tree which I had chosen to camp with. As soon as I looked at it, it disappeared, sneaking back behind the tree. I leaped out of my chair, my heart was racing, and my limbs felt like jelly. Jesus, I was a mess. I felt all the blood rush out of my head. I decided the best thing to do was to turn back to my tent try to lay down for a bit. 
I turned towards the tent, and I nearly blacked out. There was another one peering out from me, from behind my tent. Again, I only caught it for a brief second, but it was much closer than the last one. I couldn't make out any features, it was just a black, humanoid mass. The thing was dark, darker than anything I had ever seen before. It seemed to emanate hatred and anger in the same way that at the time I must have been emitting fear. I ran into my tent, pulled the sleeping bag over my head, grabbed my knife, and I tried to sleep. Sunlight was burning my unopened eyes. I opened them, dazed, confused, almost delirious. It took me a few seconds to remember where I was, but my surroundings were off. I wasn't laying down. I was leaning against something. It took me a moment, but I eventually realized what was wrong. I was still in my sleeping bag, but I wasn't in my tent. Frightened, I looked around. My heart felt like it was about to explode. It was beating so fast. My tent was dead ahead of me. The flap was ripped open, and some of my stuff was thrown around the clearing. It finally dawned on me. I realized where I had woken up. I turned my head upwards toward the sky and confirmed my fears. I was sat at the base of the tree. I sprung to my feet. I was blind with terror at this point. And there, sticking out of the tree, was my knife. Carved into the tree was one word. Leave. And that's exactly what I did. The Woods of Canada I woke up laying in my bed, still completely made from the night before, save for the imprint I made in it lying on top of the covers. It's freezing, thought to myself as I pulled a thick jacket over my stiff and mildly sore frame. I walked out my back door to the fire pit and got a fire roaring pretty fast with some leftover matches and kindling, and I threw on some coffee. I went back inside to wash my face and freshen up. After that, I felt better, so I took my cup of coffee, put on some shoes, and walked into the thin, wintry forest that surrounded my house. I was doing my daily rounds to check my snare traps and make sure no uninvited guests were wrecking my property, when I caught a strange scent. It smelled like a cross between ozone and burning meat. I wandered around for a long time, but ultimately found nothing, so I turned back. My snares didn't catch a thing, and I started to wander home. Several times along the way, I could have sworn I heard the faint sound of hundreds of beetles scraping and sliding over one another, a very alien sound that I could best describe as spine-tingling. At this point, I had my hand on the grip of the 10-inch buck knife I carried everywhere on my hip, seriously thinking that something was off. Before my investigation into this new matter could get very far, however, thunder cracked the sky, turned what had been a fresh morning into a roaring downpour and what would have been a day otherwise spent hunting and fishing into a dreary, dark as night do-nothing day. I sat in a rocking chair, started a fire in my fireplace, and, well, not feeling totally assured that everything was exactly normal, I had my 357 Magnum in my hand that was loosely hanging off at the armrest of my chair. The finger was near the trigger, not quite on it, but close. Every so often, I'd stand up and crack my windows. Visibility was terrible, but the few times I looked out, I could have sworn I saw what looked like a raggedy, tattered, black sheet fly past. What I was absolutely sure of at that moment 
was that every light was staying lit in my house until the storm blew over and I could put a bullet in whatever was causing my troubles. Stirring me out of my thoughts and making me grip my gun tighter though, were three loud, forceful knocks on my door. I opened up the door to see my neighbor from about a half a kilometer down the dirt road. We had never actually talked besides the first day he had moved in. He told me his power went out and asked if he could come and stay in till the storm blew over, warning him that I didn't have power to begin with. He struggled and said that the company would be nice. And so, we sat, we ate, and we drank, and I felt reasonably more secure having someone there to weather the storm with. He helped me patch a leak I found in my room, and he seemed to be an okay guy. I told him what was happening, and rather than flat out disbelieving me or, or expressing shock, he frowned. So, we got to talking. And apparently, similar sounds had been occurring at his place, although much more frequently. He seemed a little on edge, now that I thought of it, since he showed up. I was just about to suggest, falsely, that the storm was weakening and perhaps he should go home, when a cold, forceful wall of air came through every crack in my house, blowing out the fire and all the light it provided. Running quickly over to it, I tried to light it, but it wouldn't catch. I ran around the house looking for candles without luck, and then I stopped moving for a second and came to a realization that it was dead silent. No storm, no panicked breathing from my neighbor, just my own heartbeat. Pulling out the pistol I had stored in my belt by then, I did a quick check of every room in my house. The neighbor was nowhere to be found. Hearing a faint scraping, however, I slowly walked over to the closet, finger on the trigger the whole time, and pulled it open as fast as I could. My neighbor had had his throat cut clean open by something or someone. My heart raced as I heard the sound again of scraping, clicking beetle shells sliding over each other. Beetle shells? I looked down at his face again, only there was no face. Just two wide holes where his eyes had been, with beetle larvae inside. Hundreds of beetles were trying to force their way out of his horribly disfigured mouth, all about the size of a bottle cap. It appeared they had been taking residence inside of him for months. I noticed strange lumps running up and down his exposed skin, and I knew what it had to be. I went to grab him, to drag him into better light so I could get a better look, when a giant pincher came out of his mouth and stabbed me in my hand. The barbed pincher had nowhere to go but deeper and I knew I couldn't get it out by pulling it, so I did the only sensible thing. I dropped my gun, pulled out a knife, and I cut it off, pulling it out of the other side of my hand. Dropping the gun proved to be a great mistake though, as what happened next was a flurry of movement and would be extremely confusing to the average onlooker. A giant monstrosity resembling the love child of a scorpionous scarab beetle burst forth from his chest, his bones apparently having been liquefied. I stood in shock as it pushed forth into the world. Thinking fast, I went for the gun, but this creature had one of its black shiny claws wrapped around my arm and crushing it before I could get to it which I responded by chopping away with not much success at its monstrous crab-like arm. Realizing that if I didn't get my arm out soon, my bones would be pulverized, I flipped my knife around into a backwards grip and stabbed the freak show bastard in its compound eye, causing it to audibly screech. It was a horrible sound that sounded like a combination of an out-of-tune violin and nails on a chalkboard. But it finally let go, though, and that gave me the time I needed 
to grab the gun and blow the abomination's head section clean off the rest of it. Satisfied that it was dead, I quickly picked it up and brought it out to my shed. Opening the shed door, I looked inside. Disgusted. Dozens of fresh bodies with slit throats and gun blasts to their torso. Eyes missing. How had this goddamned bug use a gun? Oh well. I hefted the corpse of the bug and I threw it into the shed. I went inside and sat down on my nicely made bed. I've had a long day, I thought. After taking off my jacket and realizing just how tired I was, I didn't even bother to get comfy. Just laid there, allowed myself to fall asleep on top of the blankets. Animal My uncle used to take me fishing. At least, that's what he would tell my mother. And the first few times... He wasn't even lying. We'd actually roll up to a quiet little pond somewhere off the beaten path. Always off the beaten path. He put a rod in my hands and watched me struggle with it a bit before coming up behind me and gently guiding my arms. There you go, he said in his easy drawl. That's the way to do it. Many times he would guide my form. As our fishing trips went on, his hands gradually found their way from my arms to other places, and before long, there weren't even ponds. Only secluded areas in the middle of the woods, miles from any road or campsite. In these places, we'd make a day of it. I didn't like it, but I knew my options. I'll tell your mama you wanted it, he said, and I believed him. I didn't stop to realize that this would incriminate him too. All I could see was my own shame and the surest way to make it worse. Once, on a cold, gray afternoon at the beginning of fall, he took me deeper into the woods than usual. The chill in the air didn't face him. It'll be invigorating, he said. The breeze against our skin. I mean, besides, we'll keep each other warm. He chuckled lowly and brushed the rough knuckle against my chin. My heart sank. Twigs and pebbles scraped against my bare back as our fishing trip began in earnest. I broke away from a sloppy, beer-soaked kiss for a bit of air. But what filled my lungs wasn't much better. Mingling with the yeast and hops was an odor of a different kind. Half vegetation, half meat, all decomposition. Something had probably died nearby, I reasoned. My uncle didn't seem to notice nor care. If I hadn't turned my head to the left at that moment, well, I might not have seen it. Two eyes, small, black and squinted, peered out from the brush. For a moment, I just stared at them, blinking, unsure of what I was seeing. All was still. What the hell am I looking at? I wondered. A trick of the light? No. A moment later it moved, and its full face came into view. It was dark and covered completely in coarse hair, except for the flesh of its nose, mouth, and around its eyes. These had shiny, black, leathery skin. My breath left me as I realized all too clearly that this, whatever it was, was not human. An instinct took over. Uncle? Uncle? I shouted, tapping his shoulder with a free hand. He turned his attention away from the flesh of my neck. Now what the fuck are you hollering for? He demanded. I pushed him off me and pointed to the brush. Over there! I shouted, but it was too late. The thing had disappeared. The only evidence that it had been there 
was a gentle shake of the leaves as they slotted back into place. What? he asked. What in the hell are you pointing at? It's a good question, I realized. What in the actual hell was I pointing at? Some kind of animal? I stuttered. You dumb bitch, my uncle savagely replied. Well, there ain't no animal over there. He turned sharply to face me. Are you fucking with me? My fear over what I had just seen was gone in an instant, replaced with something sharper and more immediate. No, I, I, I just... Well, you just what? He spat. Well, you thought you could get out of it. You thought you could pull one over on me. The back of his hand smashed against my jaw. My head hit the ground. The stars in my eyes barely had time to fade before he grabbed my face and forced me to look at him. His cheeks flamed and his eyes bulged with rage. This is what happens when you fuck with me, he said. The next few moments are a blur. And I hope they stay that way. Later, as I pulled my sweater back down over my scratched back, I tried to ignore the throbbing in my cheek. Now what are you going to tell your mother? I heard him ask through lips that clamped a cigarette. I paused. Tell my mother. What did he want me to say? Nothing? I guessed. About your face, genius. He snapped. She's gonna notice. I hesitated, keeping my eyes trained on his. I'll say I fell. I wanted to see if this was right or wrong, and a smile crept over his lips. I was flooded with relief. Good girl, he said. Now that night, I sat at my bedroom mirror, trying not to feel. It was a losing battle. The reflection in the glass seemed broken to me. Disgusting. The longer I looked, the more the tears threatened to flow. It was time to call in the reinforcements. I reached down and opened a drawer. The gleam of the razor met me and I nearly began to salivate at the thought of the numb relief that was so close at hand. Turning my attention back to the mirror, I raised my arm to examine its underside, revealing the tiny scabbed lines I'd put here so recently. One or two for each fishing trip. I frowned. There was so little room left, but I was sure I could find a spot. I mean, I always did. The blade had just barely made contact with my flesh when I heard a sound. What was it? Rustling? Shifting? I turned slowly towards its source, my bedroom window. Instinct to overpower judgment, and I raced to look out. Nothing. All I could see was the darkness of night. And then it hit me. That smell that was somewhere between cabbage and corpse. The same one I noticed before. It was there on the wind, hanging all around me. The memory of those black eyes came flooding back. My breath came out in heavy pants. My muscles locked in terror. My eyes darted around in the darkness looking for any sign of movement or the glint of moonlight off any shape that shouldn't be there. There was nothing. It was several minutes before I could move again. I looked down at the razor still clutched in my hand. The urge had passed. So, back into the drawer it went. After that, there was nothing left to do but turn out the lights climb underneath the covers, and pass out until morning. The next weekend, my uncle came calling again, and I braced myself for another fishing trip. It was another cold, gray day. This comforted me. It seemed to promise that winter was on its way, and maybe the colder months would put a stop to our outings, or I could hope at least... We landed at a secluded spot at the base of a cliff. This is the place, my uncle said. It's nice, it's quiet, but there's no one around to bug us. 
I shivered. Whether it was from the cold or the sentiment, I couldn't tell. Then the words came up from somewhere within me. I didn't know from where. I hadn't planned to say them, but they were out before I knew it. I don't want to. My uncle abruptly stopped undoing the buttons on his shirt. He narrowed his eyes at me. What did you say? I swallowed, no turning back now. I said, I don't want to. Twig snapped under his feet as he inched toward me. His voice was low and even. What do you mean, you don't want to? Instinctively, I moved backward. I don't like this, I said as my body began to shake. It's wrong. My uncle closed the gap between us so quickly, I lost the air from my lungs. He seized my wrist and thrust my back sharply against the rock face. I could feel his sandpaper skin scrape against mine. His sour breath assaulted my nostrils. Just when did I ever ask for your opinion? He asked. Stop it, I begged meekly. You're hurting me. He laughed. You have no idea how much you're gonna hurt. As he pressed his lips violently to mine, there was a change in the air. I don't know which I noticed first. It could have been that rotting smell or the pounding of feet along the forest floor as they headed straight for us, but before I could react, my uncle was ripped away from me. And there it was. The creature I had seen before. It couldn't have been less than eight feet tall, covered in hair from head to toe. Even so, I could see the rippling muscles that bulged beneath its fur. It grunted ferociously as it gripped my uncle's neck and hoisted him into the air. For all the blurry moments I spent in those woods, I will never forget what happened next. The creature slammed my uncle to the ground with a bestial roar. My uncle screamed and flailed, looking more like a rag doll than a man. Wasting no time, the creature pounced on him. I watched, frozen, as it took my uncle's head in its hands. With one quick and deliberate jerk, it was all over. A loud crack echoed off the rocks. A family of birds bolted from the tree and my uncle fell limp. Silence fell over the scene. For a moment, neither of us moved. The beast was first to act, rising slowly from the ground where its handiwork lay. It slowly turned to face me, my body tensed to throbbing. All the while, that putrid smell hung in the air. This was it, I thought. This was how it's going to end. Moments passed and nothing happened. The creature did nothing but stare. And feeling my muscles start to loosen, I let myself take in and process what I was seeing. The creature's eyes seemed soft. It was almost as if it were asking me something. Begging. And I looked again at my uncle, laying still in the shadow cast by the cliffside. There was... No sign of life. My uncle's reign of terror had finally come to an end, meeting the creature's gaze once more. The strangest thought occurred to me. Did it look sorry or worried? I don't know what made me do it, but I took a deep breath and spoke to it. I'll say he fell. At this, the creature's shoulders relaxed, apparently needing nothing more. It turned and lumbered back the way it came, just before it disappeared into the brush. I called out to it. Thank you. It faced me one last time and stretched its lips back, revealing a set of enormous teeth. A smile, I realized. My lungs inflated fully, 
and a tear of relief ran down my cheek as I watched my savior disappear into the forest. I found a diary while I was out hiking in New Hampshire. Now this diary was from a while ago, 21 years according to the dates. It was sealed really well in plastic wrap and stuffed in a watertight bag. If I hadn't hit the thing with my shovel when digging in a hole to take a dump, I would have never have found it. I wish that would have been the case because, well, I can't stop thinking about the stuff I read. I'm only going to share the fucked up parts, but all I'm leaving out is the lady talking about how she and her husband were spending the month camping and having a good old time. There, I saved you five pages. So, here's where it got weird. 7 2 1994, 7 in the morning. Last night, James and I were woken up by a ridiculously bright flash of lightning. There was no thunder either. James said it must have been heat lightning. He's probably right because it was disgustingly hot and muggy all day, and once the sun went down, it was even more humid. We eventually got back to sleep, and this morning, the air seems a little less like a wet sponge. We're hoping to do 12 miles today. 7-2-1994 8 at night I don't even want to write this down because it's so gross. James asked that I do it anyway so we'll remember to report what we saw once we get to a ranger station. Like... I could forget something like this. Anyway, here, all day, while we walked, we saw animals. Deers, birds, raccoons, squirrels, chipmunks, and a black bear. That's pretty par for the course out here. But when we got off the path for a little bit because, well, James was staring at my ass for the last hour while we walked, and I guess he got some ideas... We were stopped by the sight of something awful about a hundred feet off the path. Well, many things. Strewn across a wide area that I estimated to be a couple thousand feet were miscarried animals, and they were all in different stages of development. It was horrible. 7-3-1994, in the morning. I'm not able to sleep after the events of yesterday. James, of course, is snoring like a buzzsaw despite the big flashlight lighting the tent up. What the hell could have caused something like that to happen? I've heard about animals going to find a safe place to die when they're sick or old, but I'll be damned if something like what we saw is in any way normal. The heat lightning just happened again. This time, it was three flashes clustered together within a couple of seconds. No thunder. That's pretty creepy in itself. James is mad that I just kicked him to wake him and tell him about it. So sorry. 7-3-1994 in the morning. I got to sleep about an hour after the lightning. Thank God we brought some good coffee to brew over the fire. We're going to do 10 miles, although it might be a little less because the map says we're getting into a pretty hilly area. It's good for the glutes though. 7-3-1994 9.15pm Pretty good walk today. We're both going to be sore tomorrow though. The map does a decent job telling us where the hills are going to be, but it's shitty at indicating how steep they are. On the bright side, and I never thought I'd be at a point in my life where this sentence would make sense, but we didn't see any more fields full of animal fetuses. 7-4-1994 in the morning. So my dickhead husband smuggled some fireworks in his pack and decided to wake me up by setting them off right outside the tent while screaming, Happy 4th of July. Of course he was naked as he did all of this, 
and was presenting himself to me through the tent flap while holding a sparkler in each hand. I've come to the conclusion that I love his sense of humor between 8 in the morning and midnight, and anything between 12 in the morning until 7.59am, well, it makes me want to choke the shit out of him. Waking up to explosives and his dick and balls is not quite how I envisioned our mornings together. Take away the explosions part, though, and, well, I'm pretty okay with it. Anyway, looks like it's going to rain today. Clouds are low in the sky, and it's pretty breezy. It's gusty, too. The rain gear we bought before we started our hike kept us dry during the storms last week, though, so I'm not too bummed about it. 7-4-1994, at night. No rain while we walked. James shot a rabbit about an hour ago. He's getting ready to skin it and get it ready for the fire. He's making me learn how to do it too. It's pretty much the last thing I want to do, but there's no reason why he should be stuck with the job every time we want to eat some cute forest critter. Anyway, here we go. 7-4-1994, p.m. I just finished throwing up. As soon as James started working on the rabbit, we saw how sick it must have been while it was alive. Again, I'm only going into detail so we can report at it at the ranger station. But for fuck's sake, James, if I have to learn how to skin a rabbit, you can learn how to write clear, descriptive sentences. That's a fight for another day, I guess. Under its fur... The rabbit was absolutely covered in what looked like big whitehead zits. They were under a lot of pressure too because when James poked one with the tip of the knife, it burst and flung grayish white pus like 10 feet and onto the tip of my shoe. Now, cue me throwing up for a half an hour while he apologized and tried not to laugh. We still had a good amount of beef jerky and stuff in the food pack, so it's not like we're going to go hungry but it would have been nice to have something a little different. The rain finally started and we're stuck in the tent. And here's that lightning again. It's flashing over and over. Sometimes it's a few quick bursts. Others, it's just a single one that lasts upwards of four or five seconds. It's those long ones that scare the shit out of me. I'd never seen lightning like that before. James keeps telling me it's unusual, but not unheard of, especially at this time of year. It appears to be tapering off a little now. I'm pretty glad it coincided with the rain this time. I guess it's just plain lightning. James is a pretty reassuring guy. Early bedtime. 7-5-1994-10-10 a.m. I'm freaking out because James is trying hard not to freak out. We've been up since six, and when we opened the tent, the ground outside was covered in dead birds, dead bats, and dead bugs. And I mean, covered. I guess we didn't hear them hitting the ground because of the rain that started up again while we slept, but we still have no explanation as to why they're all fucking dead. But that's not the worst part, though. They're all covered with those zit things like the rabbit. We're deciding to cut the trip short and get the fuck out of here. The map says there's a ranger station about 40 miles to our west, and James said we could get there by tomorrow afternoon if we really move. Both of us are at the point where really moving sounds like a great plan. 7-6-1994, a.m. We walked fast. We walked far. The whole way, we saw dead animals. They weren't as tightly clustered together as they were around our tent, but... Shit, we still saw a lot. I remember walking under a tree where the ground was littered with dead wasps. When I looked up, there was a huge nest with nothing flying around it. The forest is almost silent, too. No birds only insects, and even their sounds are few and far between. 
I never realized how omnipresent their din was till it was nearly gone. Fuck, just a minute ago. The first live deer we seen all day walked into the lit area around our tent. It stared at us for a while on the outskirts of where the light fell. And when it turned around, I saw a dead fawn hanging halfway out of her body. As the deer trotted away, the fawn slid out and hit the ground with a wet thump. Still connected to its mother, by a tangle of afterbirth that stretched until it, too, slid out a few feet later. Fuck everything. Good luck trying to sleep tonight, Mel. Okay, something just happened while we were sleeping, and I'm freaking out and can barely breathe, and I don't know what to do other than write it down to make more sense. The lighting came and just stayed, like the whole forest was lit up. James and I tried to convince each other it was just the weather, but it stayed lit for a whole minute. Then two. I begged James not to go outside, but he unzippered the tent and went out. I panicked and didn't want to be alone, so I followed him, and the entire sky, not just one area where lightning might be, it was white. Brighter than the sun at noon, it hurt my eyes really bad to look at, and James was squinting hard too. I squeezed my eyes shut to recover a little, and when I reopened them, he was gone. I ran around and looked and didn't see him until I turned back around and he was right there again, staring at the sky, except he was wrong. He didn't answer me when I screamed his name, he didn't even blink, and I could see bumps starting to form on his neck and face. The light was so, so bright, and I pushed James to try to get his attention, and when I did, the area under his shirt where I pushed got soaked with something. Well, I know what it was, but I couldn't look. I couldn't. I can't. He's still outside. And he's not moving. Just standing and staring at the terribly bright sky. His pupils are gone. And all that's left is the blue and white. He's different. He's wrong. The skin is getting worse. And I'm fucking terrified. Little bumps are popping up on my hands while I write this, and they're coming to a head, and now one of them just broke open. And that's my blood on this page. I know the wetness I feel on my thighs is blood too. Blood signifying the end of what I've been waiting to tell James on our anniversary next week. I keep thinking about the dead fawn sliding out of its mother. I'm going to wrap this journal up in a bag and run in the direction of the ranger station. I don't know what else to do. I'll leave it under a tree or in some safe spot off the trail so someone can find it if something happens to me on the way. The page is soaked through now, and I've got to go before I get worse. Before James get worse, the light is so bright. And that's what was in the diary. As soon as I read it and typed out what was inside, well, I mailed it to the CDC because I have no fucking idea what was wrong with that lady and her husband. And I sure as hell don't want to catch anything. But that last page she wrote on? Fuck. It was disgusting. I'd wish I'd been wearing gloves when I touched it. It was encrusted with dried stuff. Probably that pus she wrote about. Let me tell you, it smelled awful. Well, I washed up real good and left a note for the CDC guys to be careful with it. I'm pretty reluctant to go back in those woods again, but I'm just being stupid. I bet you the whole thing was just a prank by some high school assholes, and I'm going to waste the time of some pretty important guys when they get what I mailed over. 
But still, I'm more than a little creeped out. Everything that that lady wrote about is just too far-fetched. But I still wonder. See, I wonder because I vaguely remember hearing about some massive animal die-off back in that part of the state in the mid-90s. It was probably something else, though. Had to be.